take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We've been in the Old Testament on Sunday mornings for quite a while, and this morning we're going to be in the New Testament letter of Paul to the Colossians. Well, in conjunction with our event called We Are Rocky Point tonight, we are starting a new sermon series this morning called We Are Rocky Point. So tonight we're going to gather, we're going to adopt a new constitution and bylaws, and by doing this, we are reconstituting ourselves as a church. We are defining who we are. We're saying this is who Rocky Point Baptist Church is. This is what it means to be a member of Rocky Point Baptist Church. And as our church is talking about who we are and what it means to be a church, uh, the elders thought it would be beneficial to take a few weeks and hear what the Bible says about what it means to be a church. Uh, today uh, and uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to consider three different aspects of what it means to be a church according to Scripture, what it means that we are Rocky Point. Today, we're going to consider this truth. We are Christ's. We are Christ's. Next week, we'll consider the truth that we are one, and then we'll finish by considering the truth that we are sent. We are Christ's. We are one. We are sent. Our text this morning is just one verse, uh, Colossians 1, in fact, it's half a verse, Colossians 1, 18a, but for context, uh, we're going to read together all of uh, verses 15 through 20. Since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus Christ himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Colossians 1, 15 through 20. The Holy Spirit says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Here's our verse for today. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. The most important truth about the church is that the church belongs to Christ. The most important truth about the church is that the church belongs to Christ. That means the most important truth about us as a church is that we belong to Christ. We've embedded this truth into the opening of our membership commitment statement. It begins... 
having been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give up ourselves to him. It's the grace of Christ that has brought us to repent and believe in him, and we have given ourselves to Christ. We are not our own. We belong to Christ. We are Christ. The most important truth about us as a church is that we are Christ's. This is a truth that Christians throughout the ages have understood to be of utmost importance. The very first section of the Heidelberg Catechism, written in the 16th century, goes like this. Question, what is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The most important truth about us as a church is that we belong to Christ. This is an ancient truth, but it is profoundly significant in the times we live in today. In our age, people want to define their identity themselves. In our age, people want freedom to be whoever they want to be. In our age, expressive individualism is a cultural virtue not to be questioned. And it takes different forms for different cultures, subcultures. It may sound like be true to yourself, speak your truth, my body, my choice, don't tread on me. But at the end of the day, as fallen humans, we don't want anyone else telling us who we are. We don't want anyone else telling us what we ought to do. But in this culture that we find ourselves in, this culture darkened by expressive individualism, the church shines bright as a counterculture in our submission to Christ. We say, we have given ourselves up to Christ. We say, we are not our own, but belong to Christ. We say, we are who Christ says we are. Paul makes it crystal clear in Colossians 1.18, the church is the body and Christ is the head. There can only be one head, and our head is Christ. It is vital that we understand who our head is, who we are as his body, and what it means to submit to Christ as our head. So here's the message of Colossians 1.18 to us today. Cling to Christ, our head. Cling to Christ, our head. I want us to see three uh, three aspects of this within Colossians chapter 1 as we consider this central message, cling to Christ who is our head. Uh, first of all, Paul would have us cling to the head of creation. Cling to the head 
of creation. Again, our verse is verse 18, and it begins, and he, but who is he? Well, he is the one back in verse 13 called the beloved son. He, in verse 18, is God the son, the second person of the Trinity. He is the one who took on flesh to be the God-man Jesus Christ. Paul identifies the Son in verse 15 this way. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Well, these are titles that identify the Son as the head of creation. To be the image of God is to have dominion over creation. Uh, The title firstborn refers to God the Son having authority over creation like a firstborn son would assume authority over his father's property. And and Paul then spends verses 15, 16, and 17 exalting the Son as the head of creation. Before we can understand who Christ is as head of the body, the church, first we need to understand who he is as head of creation. The Son is the head of creation for three reasons, according to Colossians 1. First, he created all things. The Son is head of creation because he created all things. Look at verse 16. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. God the Father chose to create the universe through the Son and for the Son. God the Son created heaven and earth. He created this planet we call home, and he created everything in the material universe. God the Son made things both visible and invisible. He created this whole universe that we can explore and observe. But he also created the heavenly realm that we can't see. Included in the invisible, the Son created angels, even those who have rebelled against God. In some places, the Bible calls fallen angels demons. Here, Paul refers to them as thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. The point is, God the Son made it all. As John 1, 3 says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Christ is the head of creation because he created all things. (coughs) Humans wonder about the origins of the universe. We want to know how we got here. We want to know why are we here. And God himself has answered these questions. All things were made through the Son and for the Son. We exist because of Jesus Christ. And we exist for the pleasure of Jesus Christ. He is the head of creation because he created all things. The second truth about Christ being the head of creation, is that he sustains all things. This is the second reason. The Son is the head of creation because he sustains all things. Look at verse 17. 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, Christ is before all things. He's before all things in time because he's eternal. He existed before the creation existed. But he is also before all things in rank because he is the creator. There are none above him. Uh, But not only is he before all things, he is the reason the universe is held together. Christ is the reason a meteor hasn't struck earth and blown us to smithereens. Christ is the reason COVID-19 did not wipe out the entire population of planet earth. Christ is the reason you just took that breath that you just took. He sustains all of creation. Therefore, he is head of creation. He created all things. He sustains all things. And then third, he is recreating all things. The Son is also the head of creation because he is recreating all things. If we look beyond our verse, Paul says in verses 18 through 20, That Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The creation that God the Son made is broken. It's corrupted by sin and death. So God the Son took on human flesh. As the God-man, Jesus Christ, he took on human flesh so he could die and so he could rise from the dead. But Christ died and rose again, not just to save sinners. Christ died and rose again to reconcile all creation to himself. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus won victory over the sin and death that corrupted creation. He made a way to bring justice to a world in rebellion. He made a way to bring resurrection to a world corrupted. He is recreating. And he is beginning this recreation with the souls of every person who trusts in him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He has already begun. He is recreating, and one day he will create an an entirely new heavens and an entirely new earth. Christ is the head of creation. He created all things. He sustains all things, And he is recreating all things. So what are you going to do with that fact? Christ is the head of all creation. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with the truth that you live in a universe made by Christ? What are you going to do with the truth that you exist because Christ made you? 
what are you going to do with the truth that you are still alive because Christ sustains you? What are you going to do with the truth that the only hope for the universe is Christ? There's only one right response. Cling to Christ. Cling to Christ. Submit to Christ. Bow to Christ. Trust in Christ. There is no one in creation who outranks Jesus Christ. There is no purpose higher than worshiping Jesus Christ. So cling to Christ, the head of creation. Second, cling to the head of the body. We want to cling to the head of creation. We also want to cling to the head of the body. Verse 18 says, he is the head of the body. Paul uses this metaphor of a body to describe the people of God. It's a metaphor that teaches both about the unity and the diversity of the people of God. Like body parts, we all have different functions, but we are also all vitally connected to one another as one unified body. And we're going to talk more about that next week. Here, Paul's main point is that God the Son is head of the body. So what does the Son do as our head? See, three things. First of all, the head directs the body. The head directs the body. The head has authority over the body. The head says, go there, and the feet walk. The head says, say this, and the mouth speaks. The head says, pick that up, and the arm reaches out, and the hand grasps. The head directs the body. If we are the body, and Christ is the head, then he calls the shots. Christ directs the body. We are not a self-identifying institution. We are not a self-governing institution. We are not a fan club of a historical figure that gets to decide for us how we are going to express our fandom. We only exist as a body because we are connected to the head, who is Christ. The head directs the body. We are Christ's. You know, tonight we're adopting uh, a membership commitment statement. And I think it's important that we remember that the commitments in that statement are not the ideas of the elders of Rocky Point Baptist Church. We didn't ask, you know, what, what kind of expectations can we put on the members of Rocky Point? No, these are expectations that come from Christ the head of the body in his word. We make these commitments because Christ calls us to. And we must keep these commitments because the head of the body calls us to. When the head says to the body, be eager to maintain unity, we don't get to decide to let bitterness fester. We don't get to tolerate cliques and divisions. We seek to be one because Christ directs us. When the head says to the body, 
to assemble together. We don't get to decide, nah, I have more important things to do. No. We rearrange our schedules around the priorities of our head. Christ directs us. When he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, we don't get to say, church membership isn't really that important. No, our head says the members of the body have a responsibility to one another. We need each other. We can't make it on our own. Christ directs us. When he says, if one member suffers, all suffer together, we don't get to look at a hurting member of the body and say, that's not my problem. No, he calls us to enter into the suffering of our brothers and sisters. Christ directs us. The head directs the body. The head also nourishes the body. As the head of the body, the son nourishes us. And I get this from Colossians 2.19, where Paul says that the head is the one from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Christ, our head, doesn't just direct the body. He nourishes the body. He doesn't just tell us what to do and expect us to do it in our own power. He gives us instructions to keep, and he then also gives us the strength to do them with. He never calls us to do anything that he has not equipped us to do. We can only carry out our role as the body of Christ if we depend on Christ as our head. We cannot live as disciples of Christ without the power of Christ. We must receive his grace. We must depend on his presence. Jesus said in John 15, 4 through 5, abide in me, or we could say cling to the head who is Christ. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We are like branches connected to a vine, receiving essential nourishment for our very existence as the people of God. So may we as a body depend on the nourishment that comes from our head. If we speak, may we speak as those who speak the oracles of God. If we serve, may we serve by the strength that God supplies. And as we seek to depend on the nourishment of our head, may we pray without ceasing. The head directs the body, the head nourishes the body, and then the head grows the body. As the head of the body, the son makes the body grow. Look again at Colossians 2, uh, but this time at verses 18 and 19. Paul says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast, clinging to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If we are to grow healthy as a body, it will only be because we cling to our head 
who is Christ. In, uh, in this region that, uh, where, where the Christians were that Paul was writing, there was a false teacher. There was a false teacher trying to lead the Colossians astray. And Paul says that the antidote to being led astray is to hold fast to Christ. Paul says that if we are to grow healthy as a body, it will only be because we hold fast to our head, if we cling to Christ. You know, by God's grace, we as a church have seen a lot of growth in terms of the health of our church over the years. Um, now, like all churches, we still have a long way to, gr- to, to go and a long way to grow. Um, but there is health today that was lacking just a few years ago. Uh, there's a greater commitment to hearing the word and doing the word today than there once was. And, and if we have grown, that growth has come from God. And it has come only because we have been clinging to the head who is Christ. And so as we look at our church and we consider the areas where we still need to grow, areas where we aren't yet living up to what Christ's vision for the local church is. Uh, we spent our, our, our prayer class this morning just considering how we can grow uh, m- more intimate as a community of believers, uh, more devoted in prayer to one another and, and caring for one another as a congregation. As we look at that way that we want to grow, the only way we will grow in that area or in any area is if we cling to the head who is Christ. As we look back on the last few years, you know, we've seen a lot of great spiritual growth. Um, We've not seen as much numerical growth. And that can be discouraging at times. Because we want to grow numerically. We want more people to come to faith in Christ. Uh, We pray that our congregation would increase by the grace of God. Let this passage be a reminder to us. Our job is to hold fast to Christ. Our job is to focus on the depth of the ministry of our church and let God worry about the breadth of our ministry. We hold fast to the head, his direction, his nourishment, and Christ gives the growth when and how he chooses. The head grows the body. So cling to the head who is Christ. Cling to the head of creation. Cling to the head of the body. And then finally, cling to the head of the church. Again, verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. To say Christ is the head of the body and that Christ is the head of the church are, in one sense, the same thing. The body is the church. It's the same group of people. But each of these two terms, body and church, can teach us something unique about what it means to be the people of God and uh, what Christ has done for his people. With the body metaphor, we just saw how Christ uh, directs the head, or uh, excuse me, how Christ Uh, directs the body as the head, how he nourishes the body as the head, he grows the body as the head. Uh, So that's the body word, but 
The word church uh, teaches us something else. The word church is a translation of the Greek word ekklesia, and it means assembly. The church is a group of people who gathers together. So what does that mean for us? Well, to answer that question, I want us to see three aspects of Christ's work for the church from this chapter. First, Christ raises the church. Christ raises the church. In the second half of verse 18, Paul says that he is the beginning. Christ is the beginning. And then notice this phrase, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The church is made up of people who trust in the resurrected Christ. Jesus is not the only one to be resurrected. Jesus is only the first of many to be raised from the dead. His resurrection was just the beginning. And when he returns, he will raise all those who trust in him, the church, to everlasting life. Those whom Christ raises to everlasting life in him are the church. Christ raises the church. <coughs> Christ raises the church. Second, Christ reconciles the church. We've already seen how Christ will reconcile all of creation in one sense. He'll make every wrong right. He'll restore what is now broken and corrupted by sin. But he reconciles the church in a more specific and a more significant way. Uh, look at verses 21 and 22 of chapter 1. Paul says this, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Apart from Christ, we are all separated from God. Apart from Christ, we are enemies of God. But Jesus died to reconcile us to God. He died to make God's enemies God's children. What separated us from God was our sin, the, the evil deeds we were doing, as Paul puts it here. But because Jesus died for our sins, he can present us holy and blameless and above reproach, even before a holy God. We can be reconciled to God. And those whom Christ reconciles to God through his death are the church. Christ raises the church. Christ reconciles the church. And then finally, Christ assembles the church. Again, that word church means assembly. The church is a group of people gathered together. And I want you to see how these three aspects of the work of Christ for the church all fit together. How they build on one another. Because Jesus raises the church. And because Jesus reconciles the church, he can assemble the church. Because he raises the church, because he reconciles the church, he can assemble the church. Jesus has removed every barrier that stood between us and God, so we can not only be reconciled to God, but we can be reconciled to one another. He says in Ephesians, he has torn down the wall of hostility that stood, um, excuse me, the, 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 um, yeah, the wall of hostility that stood between us. When Christ returns, he will gather together, he will assemble the universal church. 
When Christ comes, every person who has ever trusted in him at any point in history from any nation will be raised with Christ. And the whole church will be assembled as one church, one assembly, one ecclesia, all together. On that day will uh, come the reality of what verse 22 says, that Christ will present the whole church holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We will be one assembly, one church. Until that day, though, in the meantime, he assembles local churches like ours. Right now, we don't see the whole church gathered together. The, the whole church hasn't yet all assembled together. The whole church isn't yet converted, even. Right now, we don't see the whole universal church gathered together. We don't see the whole church. Uh, we won't until the, until the coming of Christ. But as we wait for that day, Christ's intention for us is that we would assemble together as local churches. We gather together as a local church to celebrate how Christ has raised the church. And we celebrate that, for instance, through baptism, buried in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. We gather together as a local church and assemble to celebrate how Christ has reconciled the church. And we celebrate that, for instance, through the Lord's Supper. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread, Paul says. We gather, we assemble together as local churches so that we would stir up one another to love and good works. And, and we need this stirring up and this encouragement to one another to persevere. Because Paul says in Colossians 1 here in verses 22 and 23, that Christ is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. We will make it to that final assembly of the whole church only if we continue in the faith and do not shift from the hope of the gospel. And that's why we need the regular assembly of the local church. The way the author of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We assemble as a local church in anticipation of the day we assemble as the universal church church. We assemble as a local church to help one another continue in the faith. We assemble as a local church to help one another not shift from the hope of the gospel. We assemble as a local church to help one another make it to the final day that's drawing near, the day when the whole church will finally be assembled forever. Until that day, we cling to Christ, our head, the head of the church. I hope it is clear to you from Colossians 1 that we are Christ's, that we belong to Christ. He is the one who is the head of creation. 
He created us. He sustains us. He is recreating us. We are Christ's. Christ is the head of the body. He directs us. He nourishes us. He grows us. We are Christ's. Christ is the head of the church. He raises us. He reconciles us. He assembles us. We are Christ's. We belong to Christ. He is our Lord. He is our strength. He is our delight. So cling to Christ, the head. Let's pray together. Father, it is your will that Christ be preeminent in all things. And Lord, as we assemble as a local church, we confess he is preeminent here. Lord, would we be a church that finds our identity the very essence of who we are in the fact that we belong to Christ. Would that permeate every attitude of our heart, everything we do as a church, every gathering of our church, every ministry of our church? Lord, would we function as a church like we are the possession of the head of creation? Would we function as a church like Christ is the head and we are the body, that he directs us, he nourishes us, he grows us. Lord, would we live our lives together and assemble together because we are those who belong to Christ because he raised us, because he will raise us, because he reconciles us to you. And he assembles us together. Lord, would we as a local assembly, a local church, be defined and marked by the reality that we belong to Christ? And would we worship him, the one through whom you created all things and for whom you created all things? We pray all this in his name. Amen.